the teams you care about. The Patriots are now closer to the bottom of the AFC than the top. That's a fact. The stories that matter to you. Trevor Story, man, he makes the Red Sox much, much better in 2022. This is your home for New England sports. I'm just wondering what happens next for UVA, because I think there could be a lot of turnover on that roster. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Brady Farkas Show here on a Tuesday on WDEV-AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Another short show today, just 30-ish minutes. We go up until 6.07, and then it's Red Sox baseball. Sox take on the Blue Jays again in Toronto. Another tough loss last night for the Sox. We'll get into that in about 15 minutes. A guestless show today. I think this is, for these really short shows, I kind of like just talking. You know, we had Ross Tucker on yesterday, and Ross was awesome. But I think for these really short shows, maybe we'll go more guestless. And anybody else that we've got, we're going to throw on the podcast channel. So I actually got three interviews that we're going to put up tomorrow on the podcast channel. But today, it's just me. And it's just you. You can get in on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. Your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. You can also get in on the brand new Facebook live stream, YouTube live as well. Get your comments in there. Let's waste no time, everybody. Let go. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts in the Brady Farkas Show brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center. Locations, Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. Celtics swept away the Nets last night. 116-112 to 112 was the final. It was a great win. It was a great series. It certainly was a surprising series as well. I will be the first to admit I was wrong about several aspects of this series. I was worried about the Nets because I saw Durant as the best player on the floor, and he just wasn't. I was worried about the Nets because I thought Kyrie would be fresh after playing less than half the games this season, and he appeared to be tired and or disinterested as the series went on. I was worried that the Celtics' rust factor would be a real factor early on in the series, particularly in Game 1, and it just wasn't. I was wrong about a lot of things here. And since we have a short show, I don't really feel the need to just go through last night's game with a fine-tooth comb and talk about how the Celtics won. I want to get to a lot of the post-game sound and a lot of the reaction to the Celtics sweeping away the Nets. So let's just go right to that. Celtics won. How they won last night is not necessarily as important to me. Let's just get to what people are saying about the Celtics and about the Nets at this point. Here's our guy Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio last night. Jason Tatum has gone from star to superstar. Yes, sir. That's how terrific he has been because he has not been afraid of the moment. He has not been overwhelmed by the moment. As a matter of fact, he's dominated this moment. When you have a guy that is embracing being the dude and everybody knows it, on both sides, not just with Boston, not just with his teammates, Ian, but even the Brooklyn Nets are looking at him and going, mm, that guy's now a problem. He has been a star, but he learned a lot how to be a dude. You know that I'm not into rankings. If there's one thing that I say consistently on this show, I'm not in 
to rankings. Quarterback rankings, power rankings, best player rankings. I'm not into any of it. I hate the discussion about who's a top three player versus who's a top five player versus who's a top ten player. I can't stand it all. Freddie says that Jason is now a superstar. Jason Tatum is now a superstar. Make that determination if you want. What I know is this. Jason Tatum opened up our eyes in this series, and he did it in multiple and important ways. And what I mean is this. He proved that he could be a two-way player, and that is huge. I always look at NBA players and say, hey, that guy's a great scorer, but we're not sure how complete a player they are. I've always thought that an NBA player thinks they'll get 30, and they don't care if they give up 24. They, they don't care about defense most of the time. If I'll give up 20, I'll score 26. I'll give up 30, I'll score 37. I think that's a lot of the mindset in great NBA scores. They are they see themselves as scores and their ability to score outweighs anything else. That wasn't the case for Jason Tatum here. He proved he could be an all-around player. Not only was he a playmaker on offense, not only was a he a scorer who could get a bucket at 39 in game 3, he was a guy who flashed the ability to play defense as well. And that is a rare combo. That's exceedingly rare. For the last several years, we have assumed that Kawhi Leonard is the gold standard in the NBA as far as guys who can play defense but can also get a bucket whenever. Giannis is probably in that grouping. And now we've seen that Jason Tatum can enter the conversation. I do believe that, that that ability makes Jason Tatum a superstar. It's not just, I can get 30, but I've got three assists and four rebounds and can't play a lick of defense. I think a lot of NBA players have that ability. Jason Tatum showed the ability to get 30, have eight assists, have eight rebounds, and to lock you up on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, what he did over the last week against Kevin Durant is truly incredible. And I considered, at least coming into this series, I considered Kevin Durant to be the best scorer in the world. And Jason Tatum locked him up. It wasn't just Tatum. It was a team effort. But the stats here on Tatum versus Durant are incredible. When Tatum was guarding Durant, it happened for 139 possessions in this series. Kevin Durant was 3 of 18 from the floor, had 12 points, and had 12 turnovers. Let me repeat that. Jason Tatum on Kevin Durant, 3 of 18, 12 points, 12 turnovers for KD. That's incredible. Jason Tatum is in and is now in a different stratosphere of conversation. You rank him where you want. Call him a superstar if you want to. I don't care about any of that stuff. What I do care about is that he is now in the conversation in a very short list of guys that can and are willing to play both sides of the ball. 
Giannis can play both. Kawhi can play both. I've seen Paul George be able to play both, although he's not the scorer anymore that Tatum is. And now Tatum can do both. Doesn't mean that next year on a Monday night in Indiana, he's going to lock up like this. But he's got it in him. Trey Young doesn't have this. Kyrie Irving doesn't have this. I don't think that Luka has this. Great scorers in the league, they don't usually have this. And Jason Tatum has shown that he's got it. And I think that's pretty darn impressive. Tatum also proved to us that he can be a selfless team player. One thing you always wonder about young players who are ascending is how much are they invested in the idea of team or of collaboration versus how much do they want to show that they're the man. We'd seen the questions. It happened for years. Can Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown play together? Can Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown coexist? Does one of them want to eventually surpass the other in terms of star power? Well, this series showed that Tatum can and is willing to trust his teammates, to lean on them, and it's not just Jason Tatum and four other guys out there on the floor. Tatum did enter a different level in this series. Great scorer, ability to be a great defender, ability to play as part of a team structure and not being selfish. Incredible series from Jason Tatum. The Seas will likely go on to play the Milwaukee Bucks next. It's not guaranteed. Bucks and Bulls, it's a 3-1 series lead for Milwaukee. Zach Levine is out in this game for Chicago. Certainly points to them losing, but we'll see what happens. But if it is the Celtics and the Bucks, I will be very, very fascinated in what the Celtics do against Giannis defensively and how the Celtics are able to counter and what Tatum does for an encore. All right. Uh, let's continue on here. Let's see what Kyrie Irving has to say. Kyrie was talking about his future after the game. Uh, no, you know what? Let's see. We've got this one first. Do we have Kyrie Irving number one, everybody? Here we go. In terms of my extension, man, I, I don't really plan on going anywhere. So this is, uh, like I said, this is added motivation for our franchise to be at the top of the league uh, for the next few years. And, you know, I'm just looking forward to the summer and just building with our guys here. Look, I, I think that Kyrie is going to stay in Brooklyn. That's close to home. He's always talked about family and being close to home. So I think that he's going to stay in Brooklyn, but... He once said he would stay in Boston, so just keep that under your hat. Like, I don't take a lot of what Kyrie says at face value. I do think he'll be in Brooklyn for the long term because he wants to be near family. I'm more interested in the other things that Kyrie had to say. Let's hear where he talked, guys, about the offseason ahead for Brooklyn. When I say I'm, I'm here with Kev, I think that it really entails us um, – you know, managing this franchise together alongside Joe and, and Sean and um, just our, our group of family members that we have in, in, in our locker room and our, in our organization. Yeah, so assuming that Kyrie does stay in Brooklyn, did you notice who he didn't mention in that little clip there? He did not mention Steve Nash, his head coach. When he talks about all the people that are going to fix the Brooklyn Nets, he did not mention Steve Nash, his head coach. When I say I'm, I'm here with Kev, I think that it really entails us, um, 
you know, managing this franchise together alongside Joe and, and Sean and um, just our, our group of family members that we have in, in, in our locker room and our, in our organization. He mentions Sean, as in Sean Marks, the GM. He mentions Durant. He mentions Joe Sy, the owner. But he does not mention Steve Nash, and I think that that is telling. For what it's worth, Durant did mention Nash, said that he thinks Nash is the right guy for the team, but Kyrie didn't. Kyrie specifically says that he and Nash need to run, or that he and Durant rather need to run the franchise, and that the owner and the GM are a part of it, but there's no mention of the head coach. And I understand that Nash might not have been great this series, but I do feel bad for him. And basically now, you've got Kyrie Irving throwing him under the bus. This is not a slip-up by Kyrie Irving. This is not just, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot to mention him. This is intentional. Everything that Kyrie Irving does is intentional. We may not agree with it. We may think that his rationale is weird or off-center or not something we would do, but everything that Kyrie says is carefully constructed and is thought out. may not agree with his, with his thought process, but he has a thought process. This is not a slip-up. He intentionally omitted Steve Nash here. Owner, GM, Durant, they all get mentioned. The head coach doesn't. That has an absolute intent behind it. And I don't think that Steve Nash deserves that level of disrespect. He was put into an incredibly hard situation dealing with COVID, dealing with uh, these guys, de- dealing with these egos, dealing with the Harden situation, dealing with the Ben Simmons situation, dealing with Kyrie's vaccination status. I, I mean, and now Kyrie basically sticks Steve Nash out to dry. That's not fair. And it's another example of Kyrie handling something wrong. Durant said he thinks highly of Nash. He acknowledged the hard situation that he was put into, and Kyrie basically wants to just run him out of town. LeBron was the problem in Cleveland for Kyrie. Everybody else was the problem in Boston. The media is the problem everywhere. And now Steve Nash is a problem for Kyrie. No. At some point, take some ownership. Realize that you are complicit in what has happened. At some point, Kyrie Irving, the problem is just you. The problem is just you. It's not just the fans. It's not just the media. It's not just LeBron. It's not just this, that, or the other. And it's not just Nash. And Kyrie throws him under the bus, essentially. And I don't think... That that is fair. And then, listen uh, listen to that beginning one more time. When I say I'm, I'm here with Kev, I think that it really entails us, um, you know, managing this franchise together. Kyrie says, I think it entails us managing this franchise together. I understand that a star player has and deserves some input, but, but Kyrie, last I checked, it's not in your job description to manage the franchise. It's not in your job description to have your hands in every part of the organization. Like, you helped derail the season. You helped create this. Again, realize that you were complicit in this. I understand input, but you don't get to overhaul 
everything. Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. Mark in Essex, the only thing that I noticed from the Nets was Bruce Brown. He showed up. Very interesting. I don't know if a lot of people know this because it doesn't get advertised a lot. Bruce Brown played part of his high school career in Vermont at Vermont Academy. Vermont Academy is a great prep boarding school in Saxton's River down there, I believe, in Wyndham County. And Bruce Brown played there before going on to Miami and then going on to get, you know, playing in the NBA. He was with Detroit first and then with the Nets. Well, tomorrow on the podcast channel, I'm going to have a conversation with Bruce Brown's high school coach at Vermont Academy, Alex Pope kind of about how Bruce Brown was in high school, getting him to come to Vermont, how he was when he was here, and then ultimately what he's done with the Nets. Bruce Brown did have a good series. He averaged, I think, 14 points. He had 26 in Game 3, I believe. Um, He was great in Game 2, and the Nets got up. like It was like Bruce Brown 11 and the Celtics nothing. So, um, yeah, Alex Pope, the uh, former head coach of Vermont Academy who coached Bruce Brown, he will be with me uh, tomorrow on the podcast channel. We get a text that says, I think the Jay Wright retirement from Villanova, maybe he's interested in the Nets job. I Okay. I, look, anything's possible. Anything is possible. I, I think Nash should get another chance under a more normal circumstance, but the NBA often does not give you chances that you deserve. Uh, I got a text, and I want to just address this quick. Um I have a texter who I'm not going to out by name because I don't want to embarrass them. But there is a texter who texts into this number all day long. And I just want them to know that this number, 585-3026, is only for the Brady Farkas show. So I appreciate that you listen to the station all day, every day. I want that to be the case. But if if you're listening to the morning news service and you want Lee to hear something, he's not going to see this text message. If you're listening to the getaway with Greg Hooker or Jazz with George Thomas, they're not going to see these messages. I am the only one who sees these. I can pass them along, but they're not going to interact with you in real time. So I have a texter who's interacting with me now, but I see also has interacted with a lot of our other hosts. And while I appreciate you listening, I just want you to know that they're not going to see them. So take that for what it's worth. But keep interacting with us here on the Brady Farkas Show. Uh, all right, one more piece of audio about the Celtics and their win or re- and the Nets' loss. This one comes from Mike Greenberg of ESPN Radio. This series does not get forgotten. People still talk about LeBron James from a series he played in the finals 11 years ago against Dallas. This is a first-round series in which his team is about to get swept, and he has been the primary reason his team has not won. If this was LeBron James, people would be talking about this series for the rest of his life. And he's talking about Kevin Durant there. So basically, Mike Greenberg thinks less of Kevin Durant as a result of this series. He thinks that his legacy takes a hit as a result of this series, and Man, I I just must be a different cat when it comes to the media because I, I just don't think differently of Durant because of this. Like, when Kevin Durant retires, I won't even remember that he played in this series. 
people's legacies to me are not defined by one series in one year. Like when usually once a guy has won a championship and in Durant's case multiple and he's led Team USA to multiple gold medals and he was the principal piece on this year's gold medal winning team. Like once a guy's done that, usually that solidifies your reputation and it makes you immune from criticism like that. Like that that is how I feel. When Kevin Durant retires, I'm still going to remember him as one of the best players of all time. I'm going to remember him as one of the best players of his generation. This loss does not stain Kevin Durant's legacy to me at all. If you want to throw shade on Kevin Durant, throw shade on Kevin Durant choosing flaky Kyrie Irving over stable Steph Curry. That's where I think you can get on Durant for. But just this series... I don't think that this is something that's going to take away his Hall of Fame credentials as Greenberg sees to think. Like, Durant's resume is set as far as I'm concerned. Michael Jordan lost in the first round three times. I think he got beat six years in a row in the playoffs before winning a title. Generally, winning absolves you of comments like that from Greenberg. This isn't John Stockton who couldn't win. This isn't Charles Barkley who couldn't win? Like, I, I think you got to ease up on Durant here. His legacy is still good. Peter says, how is Durant supposed to beat the Celtics with a rusty Kyrie, no Ben Simmons, let alone the toxic toxic chemistry with Harden before the trade? Greeny is wrong and Brady is right per usual. Thank you very much, Peter. Much appreciated. You know what? You know what this is really from Greenberg and everybody else, I think. This is all about likability. If Kevin Durant were likable, Greenberg would not feel that way, and he would not say that. They'd be looking for reasons to give Durant a free pass rather than looking for reasons to pile on. This is all about likability. People don't like Kevin Durant because he's too touchy on social media. I have called him a villain. I have called him unlikable, and I believe all that's true. But for me, it doesn't change my opinion in the way that it changes it for other people. He's too touchy on Twitter. He's too emotional on Twitter. He got into this thing with with uh, Michael Rappaport, which was completely weird. He left OKC to go join up with the enemy in Golden State, and they think that he you know, sold out for his titles. People don't like Kevin Durant, and therefore they hold him to a different standard than they hold other people to. People would never go this hard on Steph Curry. Ever. Why? Steph's likable. If the Warriors got beat by the Nuggets in this first round series, you would not hear a peep negative about Steph Curry. But this one takes away Durant's entrance to the Hall of Fame. I'm not buying it. People would never go this hard on Giannis. Giannis won the title last year. If the Bucks come out and get beat by the Celtics in the next round, Nobody will question Giannis. They'll talk about how hard he plays, how good he is, how he took the next step. How can they get back next year? No one will have bad things to say about Giannis. No one would have bad things to say about Steph. I don't know that many people would have bad things to say about Luka if they don't win. Nobody would say bad things about Shaq or about Dwayne Wade. Tim Duncan. These guys that are likable... They get free passes. Look in the NFL. You know that this is true. 
Aaron Rodgers has one Super Bowl win, and it came a decade ago. Russell Wilson has one Super Bowl win, and it came a decade ago. Who gets all of the grief in the NFL? It's Aaron Rodgers. Why? He's unlikable. He's an anti-vaxxer. And he's moody with the media. And he's not always great with his teammates. He gets all of the arrows because he's unlikable. Russell Wilson gets propped up by us in the media because he says go Hawks at the end of every interview, and now he'll say go Broncos, and he's generally seemed thought to be likable. You know that this is true. If Kevin Durant was as personable as Steph Curry, Mike Greenberg never would have said that. But he's not, so he does. I'm no Durant fan. But I'm also able to separate, I think, a guy's personality from their on-court performance. Kevin Durant was not great in this series. The Celtics did an incredible job of making life difficult for him. Incredible job. Ime Udoka did a great job. Marcus Smart did a great job. They made life hell for Kevin Durant in this series. He had a bad series. It doesn't change how I think about him as a player. I think that this is exactly what good coaching staffs do. They try to take away what you do best. Today, This week, Ime Odoka succeeded in that. Rather than rip Durant, you got to give Udoka and the Celtics some credit. I, I just don't think that this is as bad for Durant as others seem to think. That it was. Udoka did a great job. Also, real quickly, want to give a shout out to Al Horford too because Al Horford and Daniel Tice were huge parts of this series. We both thought that their careers were essentially done, that they were forgotten pieces. Horford goes 13 points, 8 rebounds in this series. Tice gets 9 and 7 together. They get 22 points and 15 boards in this series on average. They filled in for Robert Williams, which was huge. And we thought that not having Robert Williams was going to be a humongous deal. And it just wasn't, in part because of what Horford and Tice did. It is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. Red Sox baseball comes up 10 minutes from now. I want to address quickly Peter and Williston. Says, for the Red Sox, Brady, it's time to blow it up. They're losing ugly. I'm not impressed with Trevor Story. There's a reason he was picked up late in the free agent period after others were signed earlier. Don't like those Colorado guys. His batting numbers were influenced by playing in Denver. Phil, let's relax here. The Red Sox are struggling as a whole. The Red Sox are, let's see, I got the numbers here. It's not all Trevor Story's fault. Uh, let's see. Uh, Red Sox are 18th in the league in runs, 24th in homers, 28th in walks. They're dead last in stolen bases, 27th in on-base percentage, and as a team, they've swung at the most pitches outside the strike zone in all of baseball. That is not all Trevor Story. Matt Holliday was fine outside of Colorado. DJ LeMahieu has been fine outside of Colorado. I believe that Trevor Story, too, will be fine outside of Colorado. Um... And as for why he wasn't signed earlier, he turned down a big money deal before the lockout. We know that. Jeff Passan of ESPN said the Seattle Mariners offered him a big deal. He turned it down. Therefore, that pushed him until after the lockout. 
he could have had a very similar deal with Seattle that he signed with Boston. He said no. Okay, and Trevor Story, I believe, to be better than Javi Baez, who signed early. I believe him to be. I would have rather had Marcus Simeon. That's fair. But I think he was probably third of the big five infielders, right? We had Story, Correa, Simeon, Seager. I'd rather have Story than Seager. So I, I would have had rather had him third after Correa and after Simeon. But uh, and what's the point of keeping Dahlbeck in the lineup? Well, they don't have anybody else, really. Travis Shaw, last I checked, did not have a hit this entire season. I don't want to be wrong on that, but I don't believe he had a hit this entire season. So you got nobody else. Tristan Cassis at AAA, he's doing great. He's, uh, he's not ready to come up yet. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. Ralph says they're not as good as you think. Are you talking about me or the Celtics, the Red Sox, as he responded to the texter? I don't know. Sox lineup. That's coming up next on WDEV. Red Sox baseball comes up less than two minutes from now. Sox are 7-10. The Jays are 11-6. So it's not a must win, everybody, but it's certainly a very, very much you'd like to win game tonight after the Sox. Lost yesterday 6-2. Nick Pavetta looks to get off the schneid on the mound. He is 0-3 with an ERA over 10. Kevin Gosman pitches for Toronto. 1-1 with a 2-8-9. He's got that devastating splitter we saw in full effect at Fenway last week. Trevor Story leads off. He's hitting 234. No homers and four RBIs. Alex Verdugo hits second. He plays left field 276. Sander Bogarts is at shortstop hitting 344. J.D. Martinez is the D.H. at 267. Kike Hernandez hits fifth in center field. Jackie Bradley Jr. is in right. Bobby Dahlbeck is at first. Christian Arroyo is at third. And Christian Vasquez is the catcher. Bottom three in the Sox order all under 200. And, well, that's uh, four of the last five in the order all under 200. Rafael Devers gets the night off tonight. George Springer leads off for the Blue Jays hitting 279. Bo Bichette. He of last night's Grand Slam is at shortstop. Vlad Jr. is the DH. Zach Collins back in the lineup. He's the catcher hitting cleanup. Matt Chapman homered last night. He's at third. He's got 10 ribbies on the year. Ramel Tapia is in left. Santiago Espinal is at second. Gosuke Cato is the first baseman. And Bradley Zimmer is the center fielder. He bats ninth. That's going to do it for us. Go download the podcast on the Brady Farkas Show channel on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And the show brought to you by Pro Driver Training. See you tomorrow. Go Sox.